Welcome, guys, to uh, episode number four with That's Interesting. And I'm, well, both Mark and I are very excited about today. We have a, a very special guest on the show today with us. His name is Scott Parker. Uh, he is a, a culinary, culinary genius, some say. Some say. Also, some say he forgot that uh, you can't cut your hair with uh, a razor. So, uh, Scott, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to get into it. Let's talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to That's Interesting with Mark and Alan, where your hosts, the great and powerful Alan Fowlers, as well as yours truly, myself, Mark Fawzi, will be discussing and unpacking topics that really interest us, experiences we've had, current affairs in the world, as well as telling some dad jokes and talking some smack along the way. Our aim is to entertain you, provide you with some golden nuggets of value, and pretty much get you through your day in a positive and happy way. Please enjoy hearing us have some fun with this, and don't be shy to tell all your friends to join in. What's Hello. up, Scotty? Thanks for having me on. Very excited. Um, so, Scotty, what, what have you been up to lately? Judging by your Instagram feed, uh, you've been cooking up a storm. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, the first few weeks were quite difficult trying to fill my days. Um, I've still got work to do, but it's not really filling the time. So I decided to start baking bread, um, which I did as soon as I came out of hospital this year, and baking sourdough and just giving it to the homeless. And then I sort of challenged myself to cook something different every day that I haven't cooked before, which was really exciting. Um, but, you know, it was also very limiting because the shops seem to have sold out of uh, flour, yeast, bananas... So I couldn't make banana bread, which was sad, a sad time for me, but I feel like I got my <laughs> fill from everybody else's Instagram. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I feel like the only reason bananas are sold out is precisely because everyone is making banana bread at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I actually had a request for somebody to give me, give them a recipe for banana bread with no sugar, no sweeteners, um, and gluten-free. So I sort of said, just, just eat a banana. Yeah, to be <laughs> gonna, gonna be better off. So, so I've not done the banana bread. Um, but yeah, I'm just filling my days. I'm trying to train as much as I can, trying to stay as mindful as I can as of of other people around me that you know also need lots of help and support. So, so like you've alluded to, I shaved my hair last week for charity. And managed to raise raise twelve thousand rand in a day um, to get the lid shaved off, which was pretty cool. Um, this week I'm going to partake in, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. But I mean, so this week I'm going to be making sandwiches every day with the bread I bake. Um, and there's a collection coming around now, which are, are going to dish out to the homeless, which is another really cool initiative. So, you know, it's, I decided sort of, you can, you can take it upon yourself to help other people during this time, or you can just stay indoors and sulk, um, which I'm doing a bit of both actually, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> No, yeah, well, look, I mean, it's fantastic. I think it's a, it's a great attitude to have uh, for sure. Um, you know, I think, you know, for so many of us, especially during this lockdown time, uh, you, you need to take the time to appreciate a, that you have a really nice, comfortable place uh, and ample resources to be locked down with. Uh, and there are so many, uh, especially in our country, that, you know, are suffering because they don't have the same luxuries or, or access to, to the things we do, you know. Uh, so, Scotty, getting into the show today, obviously, uh, you have a, a very colorful past, which I want to dive into because, obviously, before you came to Africa and before you got involved in Willies, uh, you were chef, you know. So, ideally, I want, you to, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you got into that back in the UK, kind of what got you kicked off, I mean, to want to be in the kitchen, because it's one thing you know, cooking a really nice dinner for your family. And it's a whole nother thing being in the pressure cooker situation that we kind of associate with uh, being a chef in a, a professional kitchen. Okay. Yeah, cool. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a bit of a long, a long journey, but um, I guess it started when I was 12, 13, my, my mum's second husband um, owned a pub in Oxford. And we used to go up there during the weekends um, and holidays. And between me and my, my two brothers, we, we worked in the pub, you know, whether it be washing up, waiting tables, um, 
and we just shared the workloads and I kind of really steered more towards working in the kitchen and doing the washing up. I just really enjoyed just the the buzz that was going on and just the excitement of all these pots and pans clattering around, you know, seeing food coming in its raw natural state and being sort of transformed into these amazing dishes by the chefs. And I just sort of spent more and more time in the kitchen and eventually uh, got, got involved with some of the cooking, you know, the basic stuff like peeling potatoes, um, chopping onions, just the really, really mundane exactly. sort of yeah. things. But, but, but you know, for, for a kid back then to get your hand on a knife and peeling an onion and crying your eyes out, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I yeah. think everybody has their their things as a kid, but mine was mine was definitely more towards being in the kitchen. And then, like, uh, the next year he sold the pub and we were kind of like, oh, well, what do we do now with our holidays and weekends? So I, yeah. I reached out to a restaurant um, close by, still in Oxford, which actually had a Michelin star. And um, I was like, listen, can I have a job? And they're like, you know, you're a kid. What can you do? And I was like, well, I'll wash, I'll, I'll wash up. You know, I don't mind. Um, so, so I started doing the washing up and then they got me uh, doing a bit of waiting. So basically uh, it's called a, a chef de rang, which is um, a way to the works between the kitchen and the restaurant, just carrying trays to the table. And then the, the waiter will then take from, from the tray. It's a very low skilled work. And then one day a week, they let me actually work in the kitchen. And, and, and again, just doing menial tasks. But I just was like, the more, the more I did, the more I loved it and the more I wanted to learn. And uh, it was getting very uh, near to the end of my high school career where in the UK at the age of 16, 17, you make a decision to go into higher education, which is sixth form or you can further your education in a specialist field such as college. Um, so I decided to seek out where the best places uh, in the UK to go and study to, to become a chef. Um, yeah. And I found that Westminster College in London um, were doing three-year diploma courses, which, which was um, a, a huge thing back then, to, just to get into the college as a two-day interview process. Um, and, uh, and, and educationally, I mean, I hated school. I was really, really bad at school. I played rugby. I believed I was going to be a rugby player. Just wanted to yeah. spend all my time playing sports. Didn't think I needed uh, education because, you know, you look at the likes of some of the rugby players. They, they weren't the smartest of people, but, you know, they were doing what they loved. And, that, and that's what yeah. I wanted to do. But lo and behold, um, that, that obviously didn't pan out. And... Um, I, I barely got the grades I needed to get into college. I did well in the two days of interviews. Um, and then came the challenge of getting to and from London every day from where I lived, which was about an hour and a half away from the college, um, which mm -hmm. meant waking up at half past six in the morning, then taking the train all the way through to London, doing my, my college course and then coming back. Um, but the prices of the train was ridiculous. It was turning out to be like a thousand pounds to, to get in and out of London. Um, wow. So what I did was my first year, yeah, j j just for the train. So my first year, what I did was after college, I got a job at the Grosvenor House Hotel and worked as a chef there again as an apprentice, um, just to be able to afford to get in and out of college. So the days were start, starting at half past six in the morning and I'd get home probably about half past 12 uh, in the morning. So then, you know, I was probably averaging about five hours sleep the first year. The second year, I moved to a restaurant called The Bentley, um, where I was starting to do weekends and staying in a hotel over the weekends, breakfast, lunches, dinners. Um, and then the third year, I um, went to a restaurant called Piadita, which was a two Michelin star restaurant. And there, things just got really crazy. Um, I was like probably averaging four, three to four hours uh, sleep a night. Um, and I, more often, I'd get to the train station off a night bus and sleep in my car go to college before college even opened, shower at college, iron my chef whites and do and do the days there. And and the reason for all of that obviously was to, to keep the college career sustainable, to get my uh, diploma. Sure. But also it, it was to get a head start, you know. I was going to college with, with people that are very talented and they're very good at what they did. But, you know, I sort of had the edge on all of them by working uh, three extra years when most people were going home um, you know, enjoying yeah, family time, family, yeah. 18th birthday, you know, so, so I, I kind of didn't do that. And, and, and then when I was in my third year, everybody was sort of looking to where they should go and struggling to find, you know, 
jobs that they wanted to. And I was already in a two mission style restaurant. So I was like, hey, that's cool. So I just jumped straight into the two star. They kept me on, um, stayed there for oh, two years, oh, went to another two star. Yeah. Another... I was 18, 18 uh, going into my 19th birthday when I was full time in, in a two star. That's crazy. So I, I was quite lucky, you know, I'd already had three years work experience full time almost uh, in between yeah. college. Um, I had a college, I, I graduated with a diploma, um, a high diploma. So, you know, educationally, I actually upped my game because it was something I was interested in. I got my wine certificate, intermediate wine certificate. Um, we had management course in, involved in that, costings, you know, it was, it was a really good, a really good base for me to, to go on to. But what really gave me my platform was just being in the industry for three extra years and working with some of the best chefs in, in London. Um, yeah. And then I sort of spent the next, um, nearly eight years working in just two Michelin star restaurants. Um, so I kind of, that's all I knew. Yeah. Before you, um, before you carry on, can you just explain for the general people, what does it mean to have a Michelin star restaurant? And once you have a Michelin star restaurant, does it just stay one? Do you get obviously reevaluated? Like how does that little part of the restaurant industry work? Okay. So, so the Michelin Guide to start with is what's known as the most prestigious guide in, in food. So there's between one, two, and three Michelin star restaurants. Three is the most uh, you, you can get. Um, so to get a, a one star is an incredible, it's, to get any stars is incredible. It's an incredible achievement. Um, and in the guide, the, the definition is one star is worth a journey. A two star is worth a special journey. And a three star is worth completely going out your way for. So the Michelin Guide actually was uh, brought into play in France years ago where they had roadside cafes where you could go and get your car fixed and have a meal. Um, and then it sort of evolved and it sort of rated restaurants. So so that's the basic criteria. Then the way the, cause Michelin is always this area of mystery. So yeah. They will come and assess you up to 14 times a year, um, which one person is one assessment. So if you have a table of two, it could be two assessments. Um, and for a one, two and a three star, it's all about consistency. Um, and, you know, the, the stars are awarded to the restaurant at the time. So the guide comes out every single year and you can go from three star to one star or to no star. You can get your star and lose your star. You know, there's been stories all over the world where chefs have lost their stars and they've taken their lives from it. Um, it's, sure. it's, an, it's an obsession. It's, it's you know, uh, I suppose if you, I was to relate it into the sports world, it's you dedicate your whole life to win an Olympic gold. And, you know, the, once you have that Olympic gold, you know, you want to retain that, you know, and yeah, yeah. that's every four years, but you, we, we restaurant world are assessed year on year on year. Um, so to get those stars is one. It's it's it is the biggest honor in in food. Um, so so naturally for me to want to work in in that higher level of food was you know I always wanted in in my career would would be to to be the head chef to run a restaurant with Michelin stars to have those stars, um, and and it's something that you know that all young chefs aspire to 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 want because it is that almost the holy grail. Um, yeah. But with that comes huge sacrifice. Uh, so, so that's that's what Michelin is, and that's what I sort of dedicated my life to. And in the UK at the time, there was only two three-star restaurants. One was Gordon Ramsay uh, Hospital Road, and one was the the Fat Duck. There's now there's now uh, sorry there was three, and the Waterside Inn. There's now five restaurants with three stars. But none of them were cooking the style of food I wanted to to learn. So I decided to go. Down the route of of working with chefs, I really wanted to learn their style of food, which would help mold it and shape my style of food. Yeah. So, so that's that's the story behind Michelin. So so I spent sort of eight years um, in working in in two stars, and actually my my last port of call was at a restaurant, um, Midsummer House in Cambridge. Daniel Clifford, who's the chef patron, uh, the owner of the restaurant. He actually gave me a call and said, look, I hear you're not very happy with where you are. Do you fancy coming down and, and you know, doing a stage? We, so we call a stage in the, in the industry as you work for free to see if you like the restaurant, to see if they like you. Um, he was yeah. looking for a sous chef at the time. And um, so I went down to Cambridge from London and I've been living in London now for quite a while. So 
you know, to move from to a different place, which is two hours away. So I was like, yeah, Cambridge is like, there's not much else there. Although it was quite close to where I was brought up, it's only, it's like 45 minutes from where I was brought up. So it's quite close to home, but still, I don't know anyone there. Yeah. Uh, but I went down there, um, had a really good trial. Um, he, we, we spoke for hours. He dropped me back at the station after and he said, listen, you know, I'd love to have you. Offered me a package there and then. Um, so I went back to my work where I was at Robichon, handed my notice in, and that was December. And then in, I went away to New York for December to go and learn and see restaurants in New York. Um, just How to see that? if there's anything out there. Yeah, that was insane. It was absolutely insane. I mean, I literally, I took a credit card, maxed it out, uh, spent all my money eating at the most insane places. But it was just like, it's a completely different world, America and the way they do food and the way they, they do everything, really. It's just, you know, the, the attention to detail, the produce they have. It's, it was beautiful. It was really cool. It was really, really cool. Yeah. Just, um, sorry to interrupt you. Just for context, which year, which year was this, this uh, year of that transition? 20, I'm looking around because I actually had the, the paper here. It was about 20, 2010. This must have, okay. this must have been 2010. Cool. Um, it's funny because I actually saw a ticket from the New York Knicks on my trip. I had it in my recipe book because I was going to my recipe book. That's epic. So oh, no, it's about 2010. Very cool. Uh, so, like 10 years ago. Um, so, so I came back took over the restaurant in midsummer, um, and my first stint with him, I was his sous chef, but he didn't have a head chef at the time. Um, so I was running the kitchen and it was incredible. It was a really, it was a real big step up for me at such a young age. Um, I was 21. Um, and after a year and a bit, I sort of, I, I wanted to experience something different. Um, so I said to him, look, I'm sorry, I want to, um, I want to go to Japan. I want to go and live and work in Japan. And that was my aim and my goal. Um, I'd been French classically trained. I've been working in French restaurants. Uh, everything was about butter and cream and, uh, you know, rich food. And I wanted to take my own path. And I knew, I knew where I wanted to learn that from. And that was Asia, and, and I love the discipline of the Japanese, and I love the Japanese culture, and I love the Japanese food. So I took myself to Japan, and, and I packed my bags, and I said to him, I'm sorry, that's it. You know, he wasn't happy in the beginning, but he also knew that you couldn't, you can't really hold someone back when they've seen a direction that they want yeah, to go to. Yeah. And I was very young to understand that that's exactly what I wanted, and that's what my food needed. Um, so I did, I went to Japan, I had an incredible four months there. Um, struggled to get work. I've worked for free, staged. I did everything, um, and I learned and a tremendous amount of money. But Japan is a very, very expensive place, um, and I ran out of money very, very quickly. So the plans of living and working over there soon came to an abrupt end. I sort of took took stock of like how much money I had left, and I was like. Oh, well, I'm all the way out this way. Let's see what else I can do. So I took a, a two-day boat to China, which if, if you have the opportunity, do it. Because it's, it's so much fun. You just, you just drink beer and sing karaoke. And predominantly the locals buy you the beer, so you sing karaoke. <laughs> yeah, I can't sing, but I promise you by the end of it, that the artist Tom Cruise is brilliant. Um, so it's like being so in Manila bar for two days. Yeah, literally, and you sleep on the floor, which is, you know, you don't mind because you've had so much beer, so you actually sleep anywhere. So yeah, like cool. big, big rooms, and you just put your bag behind your head, plonk yourself down, <laughs> and pass out. It's brilliant. It's quite an um, adventure. So, 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 yeah, no, it's good fun. It's really cool. Um, so then I, uh, I went to China, traveled through China, took a train through China, did Vietnam, Cambodia, um, flew over to India, went to Thailand, um, and that's where I met my wife. And this was now, yeah, 10 years, geez, 10 years ago. Um, and, and, and then when I uh, really run out of money now, um, Daniel phoned me. He phoned me and he's like, listen, what are you doing? I can see you're not in Japan. <laughs> well, and this is like, it's like what do you see you're not, mate. So, yeah, so, so I said to him, yeah, I'm going to come back. I don't know quite yet what I want to do. I had an offer to open a place. Um, 
Because like, as soon as you land, I want you to come and see me. I've got an offer for you. So I did. I went to go and see him, and he offered me the head chef's role, um, and uh, and with it a huge responsibility of running a two Michelin star restaurant. And wow. and I suppose it was a, a real grounding moment in my life where I thought, "Shit, wow. you know, twenty-two. Um, it's a huge responsibility." But you know, I'd be stupid to say to oh, say yeah. no. So I did. I I took the opportunity, and I ran the restaurant, and. And it was it was an incredible incredible few years, but you know at that age then of twenty what was I twenty four twenty four I kind of looked at everything took stock of my life and thought you know is this is this what I want to do now and still working eighteen hours a day um, you know you work with the restaurant was closed Sunday Monday Saturday would finish at probably three in the mornings so you'd wake up probably three in the afternoon on Sunday. Um, I'd be on the phones for four hours, easily phoning every supplier, trying to haggle prices down, trying to get the best produce for the next week. And a lot of people forget about, you know, when you go to restaurants and you spend all this money, they say, oh, how can you, how can that be justified? But just remember you're paying, you know, 15, 16 staff uh, to go through and phone all those suppliers to make sure they get the best prices. And then, you know, when we turn up at six o'clock in the morning, we're making bread, we're cleaning mushrooms with a with a, a nail brush, we are, you know, doing the, all these things wow. that yeah. that you wouldn't, you know, you, you don't really put into perspective of when you do yeah, have you your final meal. You don't see the back end, you know. Exactly, exactly that. And uh, and and I decided then um, that that was it for me, and I, I I needed to change my course in life, and and we'll talk about later, I suppose, that the the sacrifices and regrets that I probably got. Um, but I, I, I then decided to stop cooking altogether and use my skill in a different way. Um, so I actually just left. I left. We actually had an argument, Daniel and myself. Um, we butted heads over something, and and I walked out. And we're best friends now, and I still I still see him, and I still do jobs with him and stuff. But um, I left, and I didn't have a direction. And within a week, um, I had a phone call from a guy called Chris Phillips, who was in um, development. And he phoned me and said, listen, I don't know whether you'd be interested in um, in helping us on a project for Heston, Heston Blumenthal. Uh, Heston Blumenthal was looking to get involved in ready meals uh, for waitress. And um, they didn't have a supplier for it, so they put everything out to tender to look for, for the supplier who could make these meals. And uh, I said, yeah, look, you know, what's it taking? He said, yeah, initially it'll probably be a six-month contract. Um, the pay was great and it was something different and it meant yeah. that I was working Monday to Friday, nine to five. And I was kind of like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Let's do this until I can figure out what I want to do. Yeah. So, so we got in there, we started doing the, this development and, uh, you know, development was a whole new thing for me. We used to do dish development for like six months or whatever in the restaurant, uh, but never like to this level of detail. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed challenging myself mentally as well and, and seeing, you know, having the time to actually think for a change um, was really <laughs> yeah. refreshing. Um, and we did really well. We won four of the six products that he launched. We later won another two. Um, they loved what I did so much. They offered me a full-time role, which I took. Um, and then they rolled out over the next years. I started looking after all the accounts that they had, which included Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Tesco's, Morrison's, Audi, Lidl, um, and and it was really cool. It just you know everything I seemed to do in that in that space just worked, um, and I was lucky to be on the journey with the business that 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 grew. I grew with the, the the business, and and we we ended up by becoming almost full capacity. We couldn't really do much more. Um, in that time, at my wife, etc., and. Uh, and then after nearly five years of that, I was like, or four years, I said, no, I need a new challenge. So um, again, and sort of asking around different things. And I kind of love the fact that, you know, my industry with food, you, you, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no story, you know, that you, you can, you can do anything, you know, from cooking in kitchens now to where I am, it's completely different. So, I mean, product development is two arms, is the manufacturing side and then it's the retail side. Um, and I actually spoke to someone who said, oh, you know, your wife's South African, have you thought about uh, retail in South Africa? And uh, I'd been here quite a few times and I said, you know, the only, the only place I'd ever work really in South Africa retail side would be, would be Woolies. 
because, you know, I, the, from the first day I walked into Woolworths and I was just like, holy Moses, look at this place. It's like a chef's kingdom, you know, microcresses yeah. and baby vegetables and, you know, you name it, they had it. And it's like, you know, I, I, I remember I've, I was flown over here to do a dinner and I, I did all my shopping there. <laughs> Every, everything I needed, whereas in the UK, I'd have to shop at different retailers and speak to suppliers and, you know, suck the quality of the beef's great and the fresh fish, and, and I was just blown away. So so I spoke to a guy in the UK who, who actually put me in touch with, um, with the head of innovation at Woolies, um, who then flew over for a meeting and and asked to meet me. So so we had, we had a chat. We had a really good chat. Um and he sort of explained what he did, um, which sounded really, really cool. Uh, and he said, look, we don't really have anything at the moment, but it's really great to meet you and, you know, you've got a really great skill set. Um, and then a month later, they phoned me and we did a couple of phone interviews. We did about, I said a couple, we did about four phone interviews until they they said, listen, can you fly over and we'll do a face-to-face interview? So, yeah, I said, yeah, of course. So I did that and that was still three and a bit years ago. Flew over and then it just amazing meeting with them and just loved the direction, loved the creativity, loved everything about what they had to say. Um, and then a few weeks later, they offered me a role as product development manager in prepared foods. Well, when I started, it was prepared foods, bakery, frozen, deli. So when they gave me my list of categories, I thought it was never going to end. I said, well, what don't I look after? <laughs> and what don't you want me to do? So, yeah. so it was, uh, and that, that was three years ago and even now, so I've gone through that journey and I've now just taken over the, the culinary centre where I look after culinary innovation and research and development for the whole of Wales, yeah. um, sure. which is super exciting and building, we're going to be building a new kitchen, um, I'm building a team, a new structure around how we can facilitate all the exciting things that, that we have planned and really move Willies in, in like just propel us into the future of, of development and make sure that we're completely future fit, which which we are already. But you know, it's with things moving and innovation moving so quickly in the world at the moment. It's, we've got to make sure that we stay as relevant as possible. So yeah. So so sorry, it wasn't as quick as <laughs> probably the time allowed. <laughs> but that's in a in a, in a nutshell my my story. No, not at all, buddy. I think what's been uh, what's fascinating to me is that how you see these different opportunities arriving and. Um, but one thing that strikes me is that you were always very deliberate with your choices of a where you wanted to be uh, in order to further your your goals at that point in time in your life, and and you know to have the confidence and the courage to be like you know what I'm done with this part and I need to go to Japan for example I need to do this because if you hadn't made that decision then then you know you're on a completely different track uh, and that's that's what's amazing to me and and it's so good to see and I just um, so I'm so. Uh, I'm blown away by your, your dedication to your craft as well, man. It's just so awesome to hear about. Um, I just want to say, Scotty, like <clears throat> before this call, I obviously I had a good idea of your background from a high-level perspective, but just hearing your story completely blows me away. It's it's crazy. I'm not trying to I'm not just saying that. It's really remarkable. Um, and same as Al, actually, the, the thing that I noticed is that you didn't just accept being in a place when you realized you needed to move on or you needed to be challenged. Um, and I wanted to ask you, like, just from your memory, are there any turning points where, like, what leads you to the decision to actually take action? Because I know, for example, like in my life, when I've made major changes, um, it's, it's obviously a very difficult decision if you're changing the whole uh, pathway of your career or or moving countries, or you know what I mean. Um, what kind of gets you to that tipping point to want to actually take action to make a change? Yeah, it's it's a funny one, and probably people will look at me and think, "Oh, you're weird." And even when I look in the mirror sometimes and I make these decisions, it's I do think to myself, "Yeah, you're pretty weird." But I kind of get to a stage where I get really good at something, and. And I look at it, you know, when I was head chef of a two mission style restaurant, people would say, you've made it. That's, you know, that's it. But you yeah, know, that is it. You know? um, yeah, the next step is three stars. But, you know, what, what would be cooler is that just drop yourself back down to ground zero and work hard and build yourself back up again. So, so there's more facets to me. Um, and I think, you know, it's like, 
like anything in life is once you become really good at something, you know, you want to be good at something else. Like it's this, and then you sort of build this armor around you that, that creates this person that, you know, that you want to be. Um, so I think to answer your question is, is certainly when, when I get to a stage in my life where I realize that there's not much more that I can benefit from this and there's not much more I can give back to this. Um, and actually there's something else I want to learn. Uh, so I put myself in a position of vulnerability, um, which I always feel that I perform much better when I'm at my most vulnerable. Um, yeah. Awesome. So it's just, yeah. you, get, you get to a point where you feel a bit like you're not developing. Yeah. I think, yeah, cause I think it's, uh, you know, Fawzi and I, in last week's episode, we were actually chatting about um, The Rock came up in conversation and I feel like he has very similar, um, you know, strategy to life because, you know, he had the great success with like the WWE or whatever it is. Then he moved into into movies and, you know, now he's in with Under Armour and, you know, you're all, like you say, you're always looking for different areas to A, challenge yourself and B, something I thought was very important that you brought up was something that you can also give back into, you know. Um, what do you, uh, would, going back to the Michelin star story, did you, would you think that the Michelin star thing, was that ever an obsession for you as well? Did you ever yeah, get that, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's like I get goosebumps thinking about it. It, 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 it absorbed my life. Um, so for, for all the years that I was involved with it, you know, I've, I've got every single guide since it came out. I bought every guide. I've maxed out credit cards three, four times over, going to Michelin star restaurants. Um, it's, you, you, I used to wait by the computer. We used to huddle around the computer waiting for the guide to come out to see if we'd retained it, to see if we've got another star, to see if we lost it. Um, and the pressure, the pressure's real, man. It's, uh, you know, the, and you see kitchens and you see the aggression within kitchens. That's because you're living second to second. If something comes up and you've plated a table and the garnish is cold, you can't put that garnish onto the plate. So the whole plate's gone. That's it. You know, a pigeon could be overcooked. Fish could be overcooked. That table's gone. You have to throw it away, start again. Wow. You're playing with, you know, it's money. It's, it's. And, and all it takes is one bad, uh, one bad assessment by Michelin or anyone for that matter, you know, the guides and, and that's it, it can ruin your restaurant. I think look, one of the worst things to happen in the rest, to the restaurant industry would be um, TripAdvisor, you know, because people can go onto TripAdvisor, form an opinion, an uneducated opinion, and a lot of people go by those nowadays. Whereas, you know, when, when I started cooking, there was no trip advising. Three of my career came out. But you used to have a book, a red guide, that told you three mission stars is consistently great. Now people can go on to trip advisor, tell you a three mission star restaurant's not, not worth the money. Okay. Based on, yeah. your, on your opinion. Thanks very much. But. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. Because it's, it's people that are judging it on different standards, of course. Like... Yeah, not qualified to really to comment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, we, you have someone who has who've go, gone to their first mission in a restaurant and they're like, oh, I'm really disappointed. It's like, what, because a pigeon didn't jump out of your plate and, <laughs> you know, we didn't do a fairy dance for you. This is food, you know, it's, it's, it's built up with an appreciation. You don't buy a really expensive bottle of wine and not understand it. You, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You, you, you go to these places with a base understanding of what, you know, what you yeah. are to expect. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, so, Scotty, one, one thing I think Alan alluded to it earlier. Um, can you tell us about, obviously, along your way, I'm sure it wasn't all uh, success or it wasn't all uh, good things happening. I'm sure there, there were some speed bumps and... Uh, little failures or, or challenges or anything like that. It'd be very interesting to hear more about that. Yeah, look, my whole career is is my whole. Career, I think uh, my personality is I've always doubt myself. I doubt myself through everything I do. So I'm really, really hard on myself. Um, and you know, I've gone from restaurant to restaurant, and you feel every time you go to a new restaurant, you start again from scratch. Um, I went to, uh, I've made some big clangers in some restaurants, uh, 
<laughs> I had to, we were, I was at Piedetem, my first restaurant, and my first jobs would be to weigh the bread out for, uh, for the guys to make the next day. So when you're an apprentice, you can just weigh the bread out. And you'd do it after service. So it'd be like one o'clock in the morning, the last job, you'd weigh the bread out. And then when the baker comes in at six, they bake the bread. And, uh, and this, uh, I, I must have, for- I, I forgot to weigh the salt out. So you used to put everything into bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would come in later than the baker because I'd be finishing later. So I'd come in at like nine or whatever, um, if yeah. it was on a Saturday. So by nine, the bread's pretty much baked and there's a bowl in the kitchen on the floor with my name on it, a dog, like a dog bowl with the bread inside. So I'm like, oh, this is weird. And the sous chef grabbed me, by, grabbed me by the throat and grabbed me and pushed me down to the bowl and said, eat the bread. I'm like, what's going on here? I've just got in, I've just finished my coffee. What do I want bread for? Yeah, and I, I didn't really know what was going on, um, but it turns out because I didn't weigh the salt, he didn't put salt into the bread, so he baked the bread, the day's bread for the whole day with no salt. And I look around the kitchen, see the guy frantically running around, <laughs> trying to make make more bread for the lunch service. Um, <laughs> that was that was not a great moment. The same restaurant, I, I, I'm surprised I didn't get the sack, but the same restaurant. So we used to close for Christmas and Easter. This is a funny joke because actually a lot of my friends still take, take the mickey out of me for it. So I was on the pastry section. I was running the, the desserts and I'd made all my ice creams and put them into my freezer. And I was so proud that when I got back from this break, my ice creams were ready because they would take the longest. Yeah. So, so we cleaned everything down. We all had a beer and it's like probably two o'clock in the morning. We go and uh, we have our break. Come back now. The first thing I do is check my freezer full of full of my ice creams. Yeah. Now, when we did the clean down, I unplugged the freezer and I didn't plug it back in. Oh God! So now got these ice creams that have turned turned into real life fermenting products. With like, oh no! Yeah, I I, I came unscathed on that one as well. But uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely, and, and you know, every day you'd finish and, you know, this, not every, most days you'd finish and you'd think to yourself, why am I doing this? And you, you know, you're finishing late, you've got burn marks all up your arm, you've hardly eaten anything, um, you spend most of your days off in bed asleep. So it's, it's definitely not an easy journey, it's, it's definitely not an easy career at all. Crazy. Yeah, and it's, yeah. And it's those little things that that you have to remember, and the attention to detail that can mean all the difference. It's crazy. And no, for you, so obviously, con- obviously contrasting that, like, are there like a couple of moments that that really stood out, or that that really come to the front of your mind when you think about that was awesome. Like, I that is just a mind blowing experience, success, or personal success for yourself. A, a tripe and cuttlefish dish with a pig ear cake. So, and he was sort of one of the first people to really start using sous vide water bars. He was doing, you know, ice creams that were would would be set with gel and gums. And you know, he was just someone I really wanted to go and learn from um, traditional French methods. But he also encompassed a lot of um, a lot of really innovative, new, trendy techniques. Anyway, so. Back then, the guard used to come out in January. I joined the restaurant, I think it was like January the 6th, and the guard came out on January the 12th. So he had two stars in Ludlow, moved the restaurant to London. So all set to, I mean, his aim was to get three stars. Everyone tipped this guy, he was going to be three stars. So the guard came out and we lost the star. We went to one star. Now, now this was like bloody frightening because we had 12 chefs in the morning that day. By the end, we had six um, because he just wow. he was like on another was on, on the warpath. Anyway, he pulled me down to his office and said, "Listen, can we swear on this show?" Yeah, go for yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> he said, "Listen, you fucker, if we don't take our fucking second star back, you can fuck off. <laughs> but I make you my sous chef, and we take our second star back." So I was like, wow, shit. So I got, I got a promotion on the spot. No pressure. Um, to Susha. Uh, yeah, and, and, and then had to, what, what, what I had to endure that year was probably the hardest year of my whole career because, I mean, a guy who's lost his second star to get it back cooks like a demon. I mean, and we worked hours, we cooked 
we we really was was one of the hardest years I've ever cooked in my life. Anyway, I was sat in um, another restaurant, a French restaurant called the Tillage de Jean which ironically I actually went on to work work in uh, after um, Hibiscus. And he phones me up and he said, come back here, you fucker, come to the restaurant. So I was like, eat me off. I was actually with my, my father. So I was like, chef, I'm just sat down with my dad. Like, I'm just, just about to have dinner. Like, What's happened? Get back here, you fucking twat. So I'm like, uh, okay. I was like, but chef, I've, I've like, literally just ordered. Get fucking back here. We just take our second Starbucks. So the guide actually got leaked. The guide got leaked. So the story goes... That, um, so the guides used to get put into bookshops um, the day before the release and they put big stickers over that don't open till the day because obviously it can get leaked and uh, a, a journalist was, was walking past a bookstore and apparently saw the, lo- the, the new guide in a store picked up the guide and obviously then leaked the, the, the results yeah. so, so I was like Fuck, who else has got stars then? What else, you know? And he yeah. said, tell those fucking 20 rubbish on, they also have two fucking stars. <laughs> so now I'm like, I'm like, so, so I called that Major D over and he's like, I'm like, you've, you've just got two stars. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, you've just got two stars. He's like, uh, what are you talking about? I was like, I've just spoken to Claude. He's told me that someone's been to a bookshop. And the guy's like, yeah. Okay, mate. I'm like, no, no. I was like, can I have the bill, please? And then he's like, then he's like, okay, maybe you're actually telling the truth. He's like, listen, I need to go back to Hibiscus. I need to go and see the guys. So I did, um, and got back, and it was just like the champagne was opened, um, and it was just a really amazing feeling, um, feeling of relief. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. just you know, it's, you know, when you when you're in a kitchen, it's it's a brotherhood. You're there together as a team. Um, Michelin, Michelin stars aren't one by one person. They're not one by, it's not me. It's not the chef. It's, it's a team. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of, you know, good chefs will tell you that is that you need everybody behind you to get to that stage. Yes. It's, it's often your menu. It's, and you're the one who has the final say, but you need a team behind you. Um, and that team that we had that year was, was phenomenal. Um, and it was just such an, an amazing achievement. So that would be like my, that would definitely be my number one. Um, and then I've had opportunities. I've cooked out in Italy twice, been taken out there with, with great chefs and cooked with amazing chefs. Um, Sardinia uh, was another trip. I flipped throughout to Singapore, did a job on the Grand Prix track, track there with, uh, with Marco from, from, from here. So I've, I've done some jobs all over the world, that, which is just, you know, you, I, I have to pinch myself and think, she's like, I'm a cook. I'm going to around the world <laughs> to cook for people. It's, it's the most bizarre thing. Um, so those are definitely like highlights. And I think that, that when, when I left cooking and I started being flown around to do these jobs, I, I decided that I wanted to, to give back as much as I can because, you know, they're great jobs. You get paid very well to do these jobs and I thought you know I'd love to start auctioning myself off to raise money for charities so I'd probably say today I've done about 50 60 dinners for for charities and raised god only knows how much money um but it's like that for me they're they're the real that's what I get out of bed for you know seeing the differences and going into whether it be the boys homes or you know just seeing differences through through what cooking food can do it's it's pretty cool yeah, Very absolutely. Right. And before before I get onto your uh, onto that side of things, I'm really interested to hear about how you're involved with Woolworths and what they're trying to do. Uh, I want to quickly ask about how you are in the kitchen when you're giving the orders. Are you swearing and telling us to stop being shit and take this fucking crap off of my desk and you know all of that? So like, how, what's your persona in the kitchen? Because I would presume it's not this calm, cool demeanor that you are now speaking with. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, yeah. I'd say back back in the day, I was I was a bit of a rascal. Um, you know, <laughs> time, like, like I said, you type timelines demand you know different things, and and I was actually the the chefs that I trained with were probably some of the hardest chefs in the industry, uh, and still are to date. They're, they're they're pretty hard guys. So in you know, it's always nice to change things and try and set your own tone, but. 
you know, really when, when things are on a knife edge, sometimes the only way to get things done is to really shake people up um, and people respond differently. That it's fight or flight in the kitchen. Um, yeah. I'm not proud of a lot of things I've said and done and I don't, think, I don't endorse shouting and screaming at all. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the way I used to do things um, then. I certainly don't behave like that now. Um, and I, I actually think it's completely wrong. Um, but unfortunately, that if, if I'm honest with you, that's just the way kitchens are. And, and I don't think we'll ever get away from that because of the, the high pressure environment. So would you say, because obviously a lot of us associate the, the, you know, the tantrums and the throwing of things and whatever with like Gordon Ramsay because, you know, he's, you know, popular within the media uh, and has put himself in that space to be very kind of face front. Would you say that he is like a seven out of 10 in terms of the industry, like the 10 out of 10, like he's the craziest it gets or, you know, how would you like rate him? So it gives us perspective. Yeah. So go, I think the, definitely the chefs I've worked with would definitely be on par, if not worse than Gordon. Um, I, I think go, the thing is, Gordon was public, was shown to do that. It, that's not Gordon's thing. That's every chef's thing, right? Like yeah, that's what chefs yeah. are like. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that it's more refreshing to see chefs that are more laid back. I recently spent some time in um, the test kitchen uh, cooking with Luke, and he's super, super chilled. I mean, you know, if I wanted to aspire to have a temperament of somebody, it would definitely be him because he's so <laughs> chilled. But having said that, he has his head chefs that again, there will then be good cop, bad cop. Somebody needs to instill a discipline. Um, and some, you know, you need to get a job done. Um, and, you know, with, with deadlines looming second by second, sometimes, you know, the only way is to quickly yell over, get this done, pass this to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Gordon, Gordon. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say that with the, also in terms of that, Obviously, people make mistakes in the kitchen, and as you have as well, with, you know, throughout your career, some bigger than others. Um, when working in the kitchen and people make mistakes, at what point is it, okay, you're done, get out of my kitchen? I, th- I normally have a three-strike rule, so I will always, always show you the first time. I'll show you the first time, the second time we'll make it together, third time you go and do it yourself then that's cool, tickety-boo. But when it yeah. then comes to service, I can't be standing there next to you. I can't be watching you. So if you give me something wrong three times, then that's it, you're done. Um, and, you know, the UK, it's <laughs> you can sack someone on the spot very quickly and I have them. Um, because I can't, I can't waste my time trying to get something right with someone who doesn't understand it. Uh, you don't have time for that in kitchens. I'd rather get it done myself I know it's right, save myself the stress, the time and the energy and move on. I think if you spend enough time with training someone um, and you've trained them three times and they still can't get it right, then, you know, for me, yeah. there's, there's not much hope there. Yeah, I think that speaks yeah, more yeah. to that person and their willingness um, and attitude because I think most people with the right attitude won't find themselves in that situation. Look, I've had, I've stacked people... Um, and they've waited to the end of service to speak to me. Um, or they'll come back every day until you give them a job again. Um, and, and I have. I, I, love, I love that people have a drive and a determination. But there is always a point where some people just can't cook. You know, it's not... Yeah. It's, they're just yeah. not made to... Do, you know, it's, it's like saying that every, you, you must be angry with someone if they can't have an Olympic gold. Not everybody can do that, you know. I've trained extensively get to where I have in my career um, and like I said to you before it's a team thing and I can't have one person in my team not pulling their weight or doing the job properly and that will jeopardize everything for everybody because yeah. you know if you if you're cooking at a two-star level and somebody puts the garnish up and you've missed that and it goes to the, the customer and it's over seasoned or it's undercooked uh, and they taste that and the two stars go then then what have you got you're yeah, just working at a restaurant mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Have you, now, when we talk about, obviously, you know, the whole transition into uh, into prepared meals and, and the innovation side of things overseas, and then, you know, you, you had your ambitions to head over here and ended up here with Woolworths, uh, you know, head of a lot of things. What, what current, uh, do you apply that same um, mentality to the team that you have here? Um, and how, 
how hands-on were you in selecting the team that you have now? Or were you just kind of like, this is your team, you're in charge, and go? Yeah, um, I, my approach is completely different now. Um, first, first and foremost, my team aren't aspiring to be Michelin-style chefs, and we're not working uh, second to second, minute to minute, hour by hour. Um, people go into development because they want to have the flexibility and the lifestyle and the pace of work, which is different to working in kitchens. Um, so, you know, it's, it's almost becoming a different type of chef. You know, I can now spend, instead of me get, getting into a kitchen, putting a dish together after speaking to suppliers of what's great and what's in season, I can sit down and really understand why things taste so good together. You know, understand everything that needs to go into that dish before we start even going into development. Um, I've, I've literally just gone into my role. Uh, so at the moment, my team is my team and I'm very happy they're really cool. Um, but there is scope to add and, and also, you know, grow the team. And I think we will be doing that over the next couple of years. So I'll definitely be looking for different strengths within that, whether it be somebody strong baker or strong patisserie or strong with chocolates. Um, I, it just gives us more of a holistic approach and a holistic view when we are preparing, you know, different briefs for the teams to, to, to go out with to, to create great product for, for Woolworths. Yeah. What's, um, obviously, 18 hours in the kitchen is uh, one thing. What is a day in the life of Scotty P nowadays? Talk us through that, please. <laughs> no, it's very different. It's a lot more chills. Um, yeah, so I kind of I wake up, I have my breakfast. Um, I'll, I'll be in the office probably about 7.30 in the morning. Um, I'm still quite an early bird. I like to get in. Uh, it also suits our lifestyle because we drop, drop the dog off at school early. My wife then goes on to work. And then I'll probably work until, depends how busy we are, 3.34, go over to the gym. I'll always do my gym session. I'll try and build that in every single day. I think it's so important. Um, obviously, in a role where you spend most of your time eating, <laughs> you need to, need to burn it off. Um, yeah. And then, and then I'll come home with the dog. Uh, and, and then I tend to cook dinner every single night um, if we're not going out to eat. So part of my role is to keep up with restaurant trends, um, understand competition and get, get into like, even if it's um, uh, Uber Eats or Mr. Delivery, because they're all things that compete with what we do at Woolworths. If you're not buying a meal at Woolworths, you've got to buy it from somewhere else, right? So I spend a lot of my time, you know, before pre-lockdown with probably we're a real millennial sort of couple. We'll probably have takeaway once a week. We'll go out for dinner twice a week. Um, and then it could be, you know, it's me cooking for the rest of it or we go over to friends. So, sure. so food, I mean, food plays a massive role in, in, in our lives. Well, definitely mine. My wife eats chocolate. So, yeah. <laughs> so Scotty, I mean, that was my main question for, for you for this chat was... Obviously, you're training every day, um, but you're surrounded by all this good food, um, and you have to be. Um, do you put any measures in place to kind of restrict what you eat or how much you have, or or is it just you train every day and you kind of eat what you want uh, that is around your career and your preferences, etc.? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite mindful in the fact that I'm very deliberate about what I do eat in my planned meals. And by my planned meals, I mean like breakfast, I'll tend to have, uh, if I'm in the office, I'll always have three boiled eggs, maybe half an avocado for breakfast, um, a fruit smoothie or a fruit shot. Uh, then if I can get to, if I'm not eating between breakfast and lunch, then I'll, then, sorry, if I haven't got anything planned to eat, so there's no tastings or panels, then I'll obviously need something to eat to sustain myself, then, then I'll probably just grab a, like, a packet of nuts or whatever, and then I plan my lunch, if again, if I have eaten, then I won't eat, then I'll just eat the pan, the tastings, um, and I'll just avoid then another main meal, um, but I always have breakfast, and I always have dinner, regardless of the panels in between, just to keep um, a sustained sort of routine and also I don't get my full nutrients through tasting so sometimes I could have I could go from baby food to sushi to pizzas to 
um, desserts and it's tasting, tasting, tasting. So I need my fruit and vegetables. Um, and then, yeah, in the evening, I tend to, if I'm cooking at home, it will always be a portion of protein and then as much vegetables as I, as I can I can get in. Yeah. But I'm training. I'm also mindful about if I'm eating more, I do train more. So, yeah. you know, now I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm not walking. I don't walk to and from each meeting, I'm not on my feet. So inherently I'm burning less calories. So what I've done now is I try and do a session, a gym session in the morning down in the garage, and then I'll try and do one in the afternoon, even if it's just a 10 minute core session and maybe a stretch, just yeah, to yeah. keep moving. Um, keep the activity up. So I, do, I just can't work around my body and, and how it feels and, and what it needs to try and avoid gaining yeah. too much weight. Yeah. Yeah. But with all the, I mean, obviously with lockdown, I mean, you know, obviously it's it's a global issue, but, you know, with, with your cooking background and with all the time that you have now to spend cooking more, of course, yeah. uh, has this at all kind of reignited any passion or maybe given you a, a slight, you know, ambition or an idea for the future that, you know, post lockdown you want to try and act on um, or, or not at all, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a cool question because I was actually talking to uh, my brother about it, and I, I'm because I'm cooking more now. A lot of people are saying, "Oh, I can't." Is that how you eat at home? I'm like, well, how else? <laughs> how else does everybody else eat? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but what's what's been super cool is that I'm, I'm because I've got the time now. There's a lot of things that I'd be like, "Oh, it takes too long to make." Like sourdough, it takes all day, but I've I've got all day, so so I do it, and, and I kind of think, oh, I've never made that, so I research it, and I go and make different things, um, and the more I've cooked and seen, I cook because I love seeing people happy by my food. That's what it, that's why I love cooking is seeing people's reaction and you know surprise sometimes. Yeah, I miss that. Social media has reconnected me with that a little bit, so I can cook a dish, take a picture, and people are. Like, oh my God, that's amazing. Give me the recipe. And that for me is super cool. I get really chuffed by that. I love people sending me pictures of what they've made, even though if, if it looks rubbish, it's still great that you've, you've attempted. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just nice to inspire people. Um, I'd love to get to, I'd love to do more of that um, post this. Uh, I'd love to kind of pull an easy book together that's just some, some of these things. I mean, everything I do is stuff from Woolworths with my kitchen. Now, I don't have fancy equipment here. A lot of the stuff I do isn't technically difficult. It just looks really good and it tastes good, trust me. Um, and I think that I'd love to at the end of it is, is to be able to do more of that and just, you know, sort of be able to share more of my recipes with people and, and see people cook them themselves. No, that's fantastic, buddy. It's awesome to hear. Um, and you say, obviously, training is obviously an important part of, of lockdown, I feel, for everyone, just for, you know, sanity as well, uh, not just, the, you know, burning calories. Um, when did you, did you ever, were you ever able to maintain that while you were working as a chef? And then, and if you weren't, when did you get back into training, you know? No, it's, it's, no, you're, it was terrible. So when I, when I left school, um, I was playing first team rugby, I played at a very good level. I played county, and and I loved I loved rugby, um, but I had to make a very clear cut decision in what I wanted to do in my life, and yeah. um, and with that became many many sacrifices, and one of them obviously was physical activity. You know, as a chef, you don't you don't have time to do that. You're working five, six, sometimes seven days a week. You're sleeping in your days off. Um, you don't eat properly. I was probably weighing in at just around 10 stone. I don't know what that is in kilos, probably about 60. I was, yeah. I was in a really bad way. Um, I was gone, I had black eyes, um, and I was like that for eight, nine years. Um, I didn't train a single day. And then the, literally the week after, and all my friends carried on playing rugby, all going to the gym. Um, so I still had a good connection. I played for the the same club since I was sort of 10 years old in rugby. And, and as soon as I left the, the next week, I was straight up to the rugby club, um, speaking to the lads. And they said, well, why don't you get involved with the third and the fourth team? So so I did, I spent a season playing, playing with the threes um, and then put my weight back on. I actually ballooned all the way up to 93 kilos. Um, wow. And then and then played two, started breaking in, playing a bit with the ones. Um, 
and and then got really back into fitness again, um, which was which was really cool. And that kind of then took over a little bit. Um, and it was more that you know it just gave me another lease of life. So I did. Yeah, I, I there was definitely joy. Yeah, I think it's yeah, you know that balance, and I think that's I think we could all definitely relate to you getting involved into something and it becoming everything, whether the sport becomes everything and mm. your other life takes a backseat or your job becomes everything and your fitness takes a backseat. We can all relate to really diving into one area. And as we get older, as we make certain choices, we, we find that balance again and we realize you know, that that's actually the key to trying to live a, a healthy and enjoyable life you know, to, to the best of our abilities. You know? um, and just swinging back to, to lockdown and the other side of it, obviously, we've spoken about your cooking and that. And people, I mean, obviously, we don't have, obviously, all the culinary backgrounds, um, or we have very different ones, should I say. What are a couple of really simple ways that people can add more flavor to what, the, to what they're eating? Because it can get, you know, like, what's for dinner today? What's for dinner today? What's for dinner today, you know? Yeah, look, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, for me, it's... it's I, st- I heavily invest in my pantry, so I've got like four different soy sauces, different salts, spices, herbs, um, condiments, and, and those are like Batman's belt, you know, you can just whip out a bit of miso paste and put it onto chicken and it just levels it up. And I use, or, you know, when I roast the whole chickens or whole lamb, I'll use stock powder and pour that over the top. So it gets this crispy, bubbly, umami, sweet, salty, savory taste. Um, condiments for me, always, they're absolute yeah. winner. You know, whether it's sriracha sauce, there's, there's so many different things that you can add in to sort of just, just level it up a little bit. Because especially... I mean, the people who tend to eat healthy, I mean, I do eat healthily. So my go-to sort of quick, easy meal would be chicken and vegetables, which, you know, roast the vegetables off in the oven, put the chicken in there with it, job done. But then now if you take a little bit of soy sauce and some chicken uh, stock powder and just mix that with some sriracha coat, the chicken, you've got like level six chicken that tastes delicious (laughs) with with roasted vegetables. You know, even I've got rye seasonings and barbecue seasonings and just tossing those through yeah. and there's stuff you buy and it stays in the cupboard forever and it's easy yeah. to to just twist and tweak things so so that's my my top tip top pantry tip top pantry tip thank you speaking of okay so this is way left field um but if you could be batman superman or iron man who would you be and why Yo. Can I ask a question back to that? Why has Spider-Man been omitted from this trio? Uh, to be fair, I didn't see him as a Spider-Man because he's a he's a 16-year-old teenager in high school. So I thought like... <laughs> <laughs> he, he is now, but he, he never used to be. <laughs> would you rather be Spider-Man? And if you would, then why? Yeah, I think Spider-Man's pretty cool because he's like, the web can come from the hands, he can jump and swing, and he's pretty flexible. And he's, for me, he's probably the most natural. I think that's more natural than having a belt or eyes that can burn stuff. Because, mate, you don't want them switching on when you're on a date, do you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you do. <laughs> Depends on the day. Well, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Flip Scott. So, I mean, my man, we're coming to the end of our chat, and I, I can honestly say I've, I've loved every second of this, and I, I definitely want to ask you this question. If you could give 18 year old Scott Parker any advice, what would it be? Yeah, it's uh, so. I think for me, one of the biggest things that I've learned through my whole life is sacrifice. Um, sacrifice and obsession. And I think that I've definitely taken, taken the sacrifice and obsession to a level that um, perhaps probably I, re- I regret. So I'd say to myself, you know, I missed my granddad's funeral. I missed a lot of 18th birthdays, weddings. Um, so I'd give myself a piece of advice and say, spend more time with family and friends and loved ones because 
that period of my life I, I missed and, I, and I, I'll never be able to get it back. Um, yeah. So just, you know, you spoke about balance and it's it's being able to try and understand that balance earlier on in my life and, and not be so selfish towards myself. Uh, so so that would be my, my advice to myself. Awesome, buddy. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, before, before, we, before, you yeah, wrap, yeah, before you wrap this up, I want to illustrate what a small world this is. Um, long, long ago, before I knew you, um, school days, my family and I would always go to London every December for Christmas and New Year. And we used to meet my uncle in London who lives in the States. So we kind of meet them halfway and have a big family holiday. And it was kind of our family tradition. That was our annual family holiday. And we always used to stay at the Grosvenor House Hotel. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> so my folks, sure. they had a, an old family friend who used to work there. I think he was, I'm not sure, like general manager or something. And uh, we used to get like preferential rates to stay there. And it was awesome. It was, I have such fun memories of it. So when you said Grosvenor House Hotel, it was probably one of your first jobs that was my mind was blown right there as how small this world is. No, buddy. Well, Scott, thank you so much uh, for, for your time. It has been truly a, a fascinating and a terribly enjoyable conversation. I'm sad that it has to come to an end. But uh, yeah, buddy, thank you so much for sharing, um, for opening up to us on, on the podcast. And uh, yeah, wish you the best of luck with the rest of obviously lockdown. And please hope you and your family are safe. Uh, and we will, for all of you that are listening, we'll post all the information on our podcast, on our, our Insta story. Scott has given me a lovely little recipe, which we'll be putting up there for you guys to give it a try. Please tag us. Please tag Scott in your attempts. I'm going to attempt this, and this should be hellishly entertaining for everyone. Um, but yeah, Scott, thank you so much, buddy. Have a good day. Peace out, homie. Cheers, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Enjoyed Thanks that. for having me. Cheers. Cheers, Scotty. Just out of gas